In today's show, we're talking Boston Celtics, their 22-23 season, how it ended, what it means for next year. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball and TikTok at RedRock underscore B-Ball and on Instagram at LockedOnFantasyBasketball. Today's episode is brought to you by Fangio Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit Fangio.com slash Locked On today to get started. Thank you also for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. So, Doing a Boston Celtics show today, a couple of housekeeping things. This is being recorded before Game 5 of the NBA Finals. If the Denver Nuggets win Game 5 tomorrow, I will do a recap of the Denver Nuggets season. If not, I'm not sure exactly what I'll do, but we'll do something tomorrow's show. We've got the NBA Draft live show coming up June 22nd, 7.45 p.m. Eastern. You'll see it over on the YouTube channel. We're going to be covering the draft live so make sure you're a part of it. Last year was fun. It's going to be better this year, I think, I hope. And uh, yeah, so that's going to be happening there. But now let's talk about this Boston Celtics team, which, of course, got themselves to the conference finals and didn't make it through to the NBA finals. Morning. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> All right. Really weird situation for this team, quite obviously, with the Ima Udoka firing, um, or sorry, suspension, and then firing Joe Mazzulla taking over after losing a bunch of their assistants. Yeah, Will Hardy, of course, going to the Jazz to take over and be a head coach there. And then, you know, Mazzulla was one of the assistants. He gets promoted. So losing two of their assistants, Mazzulla jumps up. Udoka's gone. Didn't Don't really replace them during the year as well. A uh, bunch of weird stuff with that. Then there is the situation with Robert Williams being injured to start the season. Uh, Missoula having no experience as a head coach and them starting off as one of the best offenses ever. Some of the hottest offensive play to begin the season. And then it falls way off. The defense dropped considerably from last season. The um, rotation decisions of Missoula were very different to Yudoka's. And I think it ended up costing them quite a bit. Now, that was still great. 57 and 25. Best net rating in the NBA, plus 6.9. Fourth best offense, third best defense. But it was some of the things for us for fantasy perspective were a little bit different to what we expected from this squad heading in. But in terms of what Brad Stevens did building the team, like bringing in Malcolm Brogdon, getting a full season of Derek White, like the team was awesome. They were really, really strong and they probably should have done better. And I'll place some of that on maybe the, the top level talent, but also the coaching, which... You would hope that the coaching can improve next season. They did just bring in Charles Lee from the Milwaukee Bucks to be an assistant coach, so that that's going to help them. Um, so there is uh, some steps being made there, but it is a bit of a crossroads situation for this team. And, and one thing that really stands out when I do this is I look at the best lineup through cleaning the glass, as I, as I always do. This lineup, Derek White, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Al Horford, Robert Williams, had a net rating of 45.1. That is a ridiculously high number. And obviously, if they played more minutes, they're only at 130 possessions, I think, for the season. If they played more minutes, it would come down. But that's not that's not hard to see. Like that's not a lineup where you go, oh yeah. Huh. There's no way that would work because it does. 
And all it is is different from the lineup that started nearly every game last season is Derek White over Marcus Smart. And Derek White was better than Marcus Smart this season. And there were plenty of instances of this team of them just not playing Horford and Williams together. Some of it injury, but some of it not. Or going with Smart over White. There were plenty, remember how many times during the season where they would just not play Derek White a single second in the fourth quarter? And I think that's part of the coaching failure is not running the best lineups all the time. Whereas this lineup was successful. It was successful last season, and then all you did was replace Smart with White, who was better this year. And that, again, leads to some of the coaching concerns. We can talk, and we will, about the issues that Jalen Brown had this season and where he ends up from here. But overall, like you can talk about blowing up the Celtics, whatever. You can have that thought if you want. But the nucleus of a unbelievably good team is still there. I just think there was some bad execution from some of the coaching that did hold them back. And realistically, they should have beaten this Heat team. That was significantly better than the Heat team. They fell down 3-0, came back, and then blew that game seven. But if we had that series again, I would say, yeah, I'll pick the Celtics. I wouldn't have any problem with saying that. They are a better team. But just a few things on the margins didn't work out. Their free agency, there's not a huge amount there that's um, uh, not concerning, but if you, yeah, an issue. Now, Dino Gallinari, of course, the Italian cock, we didn't get to do this very much this season, so we're going to do it now. Hands off my um, He's got a player option after missing all season with a torn ACL. He'll be picking up that player option, and he would have been really useful. He would have taken some of the Grant Williams or the um, uh, Sam Hauser or maybe Mike Muscala minutes. He's not the guy that he was in the past, but he's still going to be good. He's still a good player. Um, Mike Muscala does have a team option, a guy they brought over at the trade deadline. They, look, they could use him, but I wouldn't say he's a huge priority. I think he's an interesting player, but they ran about five different backup centers. And this, that just triggers something in my head. Remember the start of the year, talking about bad coaching decisions, how they would play Noah Vonley as their backup center and play him minutes over Grant Williams and other players. And then, yeah, 10 games later, Vonley was waived and never played a single second in the league again. Like, those are some of the stupid things I thought that Missoula did. And I was highly critical of that early in the season because, again, it didn't make any sense. Um, the other guy is an unrestricted free agent is Blake Griffin. Yeah, he started some games this season. Didn't, again, make a huge ton of sense to have him in those minutes. He is relatively washed, I would say, and wouldn't be a priority to bring back. The one big question here is going to be what happens with Grant Williams. And it seems relatively obvious that Missoula doesn't like him. And it seems relatively obvious that Grant Williams is going to be on another team, whether that's through them signing and him signing an offer sheet and the Celtics not matching, a sign and trade happening, whatever it is, I don't think Grant Williams is going to be back. Now, Grant Williams was much more successful under Ima Udoka, but Missoula just didn't like using him. Williams also seemed to get a little bit more of, I don't know, like this, uh, I don't know if cockiness is the right word, but he seemed to rub people on his team and his organization a little bit more the wrong way than he had in the past. And he was getting DNP'd. He was getting five-minute games. He was all over the place in terms of his role in the rotation. His play did suffer. It did drop off, but I don't think he was as bad as what it was made out to be. Or maybe, to, to be clear, the, the difference in his play from this season to last season wasn't as large as it might be expected. I don't know how he fits into a larger role. Do you want him to be a... 27-minute-a-night starter on another team? Like, some teams, maybe. Like, would he a better, be a better option than, like, PJ Washington as a starter in Charlotte? Probably going to be a moot point because Miles Bridges is probably going to take that spot next season. I don't know. Like, is Grant Williams a better player than that? Maybe. Is he a better player than Caleb Martin for the Heat at Power Forward? Probably, yeah. So, there are some teams, but there are other teams that it makes no sense for Grant Williams to go to. So, 
A really intriguing scenario for him in free agency. In terms of the draft, they only do have one draft pick, and that is in the second round, no pick in the first round. They've got a priority early pick, priority, like it's a premium pick in round two, pick 35. And with this NBA draft at the moment, like I still maintain this is an unbelievably strong draft, but it's nowhere near as deep as some other drafts. There's been so many guys that, probably rightfully so, have pulled out of this draft going, well, 2024 is not as strong. I'll pull out, I'll go back to 2024, and I'll try and work my way up into being a lottery guy. That usually doesn't work. Those guys usually don't play out. So whether that is like your Trey Alexanders or even the guys that we drew today, Bobby Clintman, who's coming to Australia. The NBA might have six players drafted next season. Bobby Clintman, Nikola Jurisic, um, uh, Zvonimir Ivicic, uh, Usman Ndiaye, these guys all pulled out of the draft today. But... So many of these guys that would have gone maybe 45 or 40, 40, 45 through to 60, I reckon 20 guys pulled out of that range. So after like pick 40 in this draft, it does get very weak. I still maintain that there are probably 25 players who are lottery talents in this draft and maybe 35 top 25 players in this draft, which makes it honestly very, very strong. But the back end is, is bad. Like... In, uh, on my big board at 50, I go, well, they, these aren't draftable players, but someone's going to have to take them. So it's a weird draft where there's tons of top-end talent. There are 25 probably lottery players in this draft, but there's 45 draftable players only, and there's got to be six or 58 guys picked. So having picked 35 is useful in this draft. This is a top 25 player probably in next year's draft, and that's Amari Bailey. He might even be a top 20 player. They haven't picked Amari Bailey, of course, but in terms of my mock draft database, he's the guy that fits into that position. So that's a long way of me telling you about where I sit with the draft. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. For a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time that you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know that your part will fit all your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Didn't have the sound queued up. Broncos country, let's ride. eBay guaranteed fit is only available to US customers, eligible items only, and exclusions apply. That brings us to talk about the players on this Boston Celtics team. And we'll start, of course, with Jason Tatum, the best player on this squad. He was drafted at pick eight. He finished the season ranked eighth. He finished the season in points league ranked eighth. He finished the season ranked totals totals in fourth. Fourth for categories, fourth for points, fourth for minus ones. Strong. Really, really good. And he'll be a first round guy again next season. People will look at that total rank of four and they might consider him as a top five guy because oh, he doesn't get hurt. Which again, when he gets hurt, then what happens? I still think he's a clear top eight. Actually, I don't know that because I haven't done my projections for next season, but he'll go top eight. He'll easily go top 10. He might go top six, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. If you wanted to take him at five or four, it's no problem. And I think a lot of the time it's hard to lose a fantasy league in the first round outside of injury, which is unpredictable. It is hard to do that with your picks. Like if you pick someone at four, they end up at 10th. doesn't actually matter. doesn't change you that much. If you pick Tatum at three and he ends up ninth per game, doesn't matter. And that's sort of what he brings. He's still only 25, so he's got plenty of room to still continue to, to, if not get better, but stabilize. And the one thing I always want to look at is where do they get better? Where can they get worse? 
74 games, 37 minutes. Well, the number one red flag there is 37 minutes. Can he maintain playing that level of minutes? Will it drop down to 35? That's a lot of minutes. He averaged 30 points, three threes, almost nine rebounds, almost five assists, a steal, 0.7 blocks. The steals and blocks probably always stay that way. Can he ever be a five assist guy? Maybe that's probably pushing it a little bit too far. But the thing that is clear here of what can change is 35% three-point shooting. So there are two real standouts to me. 37 minutes, that could come down. But 35 three-point shooting, that could be, he could have, it might even be a fluke. But he might have a 39% three-point shooting season. 3.2 triples become 3.7 triples. 30 points become 32.5 points per game. Um, And then you're talking about a guy that is fourth per game. But he also could play 34 minutes a night and then 30 points still becomes 30 points. And the 38% three-point shooting keeps him at 3.2 triples. But then his rebounds go to 8.2 and his assists go to 4.3 and his steals go to 1 and his blocks go to 0.6, making him the 12th best player. So they're two sort of pressure points either way. I don't know which way they're going to go, but that's sort of the argument for where Tatum can get worse or get better. He was 97th percentile on EPM, 99th in estimated wins. That's amazing, 15.8 there. Darko ranks him the ninth best player. LeBron had him 96th percentile. You can see that graph of just how strong and how good he actually is. Um, there's not a huge amount more to say with Tatum, I don't think. He's sort of just doing what he does. He was relatively consistent most of the season, um, put up strong numbers. And again, I just think there are those couple of things that we can look at in terms of what can and, and or can improve or can decline for his overall production. But he's just super strong. He's 25. He's got six more years at this level probably. And the one thing you do hope for improvement in is three-point shooting. That's the thing you look at and go, well, that's where the next step has to be. Can he get to that next level of efficiency shooting from three. Because the other stuff's pretty strong, but we need to get more in that level. JB, you've done it again. Um, Jalen Brown, 36th ranked player in category leagues. His ADP was 39. In points leagues, he was 28th. Apparently, like I put a question out, maybe it was a couple of months ago, you know, which which player did I get wrong the most? And there were many people, man, you really screwed up on Jalen Brown. Did I? I don't actually remember. What did I actually say with him? I thought I had him maybe like 41 to 45 in that range. I don't know. I don't really know how I completely screwed up on Jalen Brown because looking at what he did, it's not massively off what expectations are. Like 36th ranked player, ADP was 39. Maybe I had him in the 40s. It's not a big, it's not a difference. And maybe I'm just completely forgetting something that I said or projected on with Jalen Brown. That's, that's distinctly possible. I, I might've done that. I don't remember. I just think I had him as a fourth round guy and he ended up, bang on the, the edge of the third or fourth round. He's 26. He played 36 minutes a night. He had 31 usage. But we saw the issues with him in the finals. The inability to dribble, the the inability for him to be a huge creator for others. He's a strong defender, but he's dropped off in that regard. He doesn't generate defensive stats. And you can see that this is what will hold him back for his fantasy potential. He averaged 26.5 points. So 31 usage, lower than Tatum, low, lower scoring. Seven rebounds, three and a half assists. Like there's strong numbers. They're strong numbers. A steal, 1.1 steals, 0.4 blocks, 34% from three. But one of the things that holds him back, and he's been better in this area than he's been in the past, but 77 from the line. In order to jump from being a third round guy, which is, I think, where we look at him now, he needs to be 85% from the line. He needs to be you know, four and a half assists. And he just isn't creative as a playmaker. He doesn't take enough threes, I don't think. He doesn't hit him at a strong enough rate, 34%. So he's a year and a half older than Tatum. Is it realistic to expect free throw percentage to improve to 84, 85? Maybe. Is it realistic to expect him to become an above average to very good three-point shooter? I don't have that confidence in him. Um, As a playmaker and creator for others, I don't have that confidence in him either. So 
a lot of things of the, the advanced metrics, apart from LeBron, which is off on him, they're about right. 90th percentile EPM, 34th overall player in Darko, plus 2.0. LeBron's got him 59th percentile compared to starters, which is pretty low. Um, but I look at what Brown did and go, I, I don't really have massive faith in the threes or the, or the free throws jumping up and definitely the dribbling or the assists. I don't really think there's going to be huge amounts changing there. He was strong. Also, he had some injuries with the, the the thumb, and then he had the face mask on during the season. So he only played 67 games, and that was a, a problem. He's had some injuries in the past, for sure. He's not an injury-prone player, but he has had some injuries in the past. But what what happens? Like, he's been... Oh, as, my, as Obi tries to come up, do you want to come up, Obi? Um, do you want to come up? No? All right. Um, he's been agitating, it feels, with his comments through the media that he's done with something. Like he doesn't want to be in Boston or he's going to make this decision that he's going to leave. There's too much, you talk about smoke and fire. There's too much smoke with Jalen Brown to suggest that everything is perfect because the way that he talks in press conferences, the way that rumors come out, the talk about him being pissed off of being included into deals and talks for Kevin Durant. I just don't think he's going to be on this team. And there's always going to be something happen in the coming weeks. Somebody is going to change teams. There's going to be a trade happen before the draft involving a player that will happen don't doesn't have to be a big player but someone will get traded and then there are going to be players get traded through free agency or through the draft and if it's Jalen Brown I'm not shocked there's too much agitation from him from talks from whispers that maybe he doesn't want to sign an extension now that he is super max eligible and if he doesn't the Celtics will need to deal him but even if he goes to another team like is it he need goes to another team because he's going to get more usage well, he's already at 31 is that going to improve? I don't know. He already plays 36 minutes. So what team is going to give him this larger role? I don't know that it exists. Does going to another team allow him to be able to dribble with his left hand? Does it enable him being able to find others for passes and assists? Does it enable him to hit threes or free throws? I don't think anything about any of those things is based on what team he plays for. So while we can look at everything that Jalen does, if he does get traded... And I don't, as Obi now decides he's going to come up, I don't know how much improves. Would you ever want to run a team where he's a 36 usage guy or a 34 usage guy? No, absolutely not. Could he go to a team that's more cautious with minutes and plays him 34 minutes as they have a stronger bench? Possible. So while I think there is, I won't say greater than 50% chance because you talk trades and you can never go that high, but there's definitely higher than 0% chance he gets traded. And I think if he gets traded, that it doesn't actually improve his fantasy situation at all. He needs to improve that internally. And he has worked on things like free throw shooting. But the other stuff is still there. It's still a problem. So I think we're sort of stuck at this area for Jalen. And if I look at it, again, we're looking at Tatum. I see an upside case. I see a downside case. I look at Jalen and go, I think there might only be downside cases here. Maybe 36 minutes, 31 usage doesn't stick on another team. Yes, the, the percentages could improve, but I don't have that much faith in them. So I'm not saying that he's washed. He's, he's clearly not. He's not even really in his prime. But in terms of trying to work out where that comes from, the improvement, I'm not I'm not really sure. The EPM graph looking at the end of the season, the playoffs, some big dips there. But overall, he's like he's a really good player. There's no doubt in that. Can he be a number one guy? Uh, I, I, I don't think so. I don't think he can be a number one. Today's episode is brought to you by Fangel. Make a fast break to Fangel during the NBA playoffs if they're still going. Because right now, new customers get a no-sweat-first bet up to $2,500. That's $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. There's no better place to bet all of the playoff action than America's number one sportsbook. You might want to look at 
if game six is a thing. You look at that, odds for that. But you also might look at the NHL playoffs, which is going to be over pretty soon as well, between the Knights and the Panthers. You can check the odds out there. Major League Baseball. FanDuel has got everything covered, but now they're going to also move into props for the NBA draft. They'll be looking at uh, over-under positions picked. You know, who's the first player? Rookie of the year, early bets, where you've got Victor Wembanyama versus the field. It is all there, available over on FanDuel. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel is the official sports betting partner of the NBA. Don't forget to gamble responsibly. Okay. Next guy. Um, yeah, really weird season for Rob Williams. Entered the year uh, with a knee surgery and didn't come back until December. And my general rule, lower body injuries that require you to miss a month of the regular season, I'm just not going to touch you until you get to pick 100. Did that burn me with Jaron Jackson this year? Yeah, but was I still able to grab him in like a league at 95? Yes, I was. So if that worked out. But in general, it's just a risky proposition to grab someone off a lower body injury when they're going to miss that much time. Now, it's also another indication of paying attention to rankings or projections or whatever. Because I remember reading something somewhere that someone like, man, Josh doesn't know what he's talking about. He actually had Rob Williams ranked ahead of uh, Vooch for the season, which is clear bullshit because I didn't. But if you look at things based on um, you know the, the projection numbers and you're looking at the per game projections, all that sort of stuff, you... you it's very. It can be quite nuanced as to work out where players are, are sitting and positioned and all that sort of thing. And my rule is going to remain the same. If you enter the season with a lower body injury that's going to cost you, not like you know he's iffy for training camp or you know he's questionable in preseason games. Different story. But it's like you will miss the first X weeks of the season. I'm just not touching you till we get to 95 to 105 in that range, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe not even then. Maybe we look at 100, 110. I just generally don't want to take you as one of my top 10 players. So maybe that takes it outside the top 100. I just don't want to do that. And if it blows up in my face, fine. Not a problem. I missed out on that guy. Because that's what happened with Rob Williams. Now, we can look at this and go, Rob Williams ranked 83rd per game. We can look at his minus one rank and say that he ranked 80th per game. Very, very true. Like he still was able to put up these sort of numbers in a, you know, in a, in a good manner. Now, people are very disappointed what Rob Williams was able to do this season. I heard so much hate about Rob Williams and I'm going to drop him. And I think it's a great illustration. Points League's fair enough, 133. He's just not a good Points League player. But it's just a great illustration of the value of a guy because he is a three-category player. He had strong field goal percentage at 75%. He had 1.4 blocks, which is nowhere near where it was in the past. And he averaged 8.3 rebounds. Now, if he averages two blocks a game and averages 11 and 10, which is close to what he did the year before, then he's a top 30 guy again. But it's still three categories. And the way that rankings work, there is a set formula that pushes guys, you know, not pushes, but it's a set formula. That's all that it is. He averaged the, like, the year before when everyone was saying, man, Rob Williams, second round guy, when I was literally getting into arguments with people saying in category leagues, I'll draft Robert Williams over Luka Doncic because he ranked 12th in nine cad value. Like he averaged 10 and 10 with 2.2 blocks. That's what he averaged last season. 10 and 10 with 2.2 blocks. And the difference this season is he averaged eight and nine with 1.4 blocks. That's the difference. Yeah, the other, you know, what else changed for him year on year? He averaged you know, 0.7 fewer assists. Okay, cool. He shot a higher field goal percentage. His free throws actually dipped 10 percentage points. 
from 72 to 64 or 61, sorry, like bad numbers there. But realistically, he's a three-category guy and one of those categories went from elite to being good and that's blocks. Went from 2.2 to 1.4 and that takes you from 20th or 30th or 40th, however you want to value him, to where he is now where people were wanting to drop him. That's it. That's the difference. And that is the risky proposition with these big men who rankings, especially if you include turnovers, will make them look way better than they are. Rob Williams, who's the 12th best guy last year, well, he wasn't, but you might think he was based on how you view the rankings. And when one of those things drops, because he played only 24 minutes a game, which again, I think is a Missoula issue and only 12 usage, really low usage, like that impacts it. I think they didn't go enough to the Horford and Williams combination. I think that it's, the, the knee problem for him is a real issue. He had his knee issues and toe issues through his career. I think it's a real issue. And I thought he was underutilized in the playoffs as well. And maybe it's a Missoula thing with Missoula not liking Grant Williams, not liking Rob Williams. Not sure he's got anything against the Williams name, but it just there's ways that he differs to the way Yudoka used Rob. But in terms of dynasty value for Rob, I know this is a long time to talk about Rob, but I think he's the most intriguing player on this team, basically. He's 25. He was 86th percentile on EPM. He's 31st overall in Darko, plus 2.3. He's 71st percentile in LeBron. His numbers are still hugely impactful. In a dynasty league, Al Horford, sorry to Al, he's not going to do this forever. In fact, he's already stopped doing it. He's 38. At some point, Rob Williams becomes the unquestioned starting center, and hopefully the knee is fine. Maybe it's never fine, but he goes back and plays 28 minutes a night. He averages 12 and 10. He blocks two shots, and he's back as a top 40 guy. If you are looking for a time to buy absolutely dead set low on him, it's now. Now, it might not be possible because the person that has him in your dynasty league is not reactionary. But with the amount of people who are trying to convince me that Rob Williams was a droppable player during this season, even like I know the, the ins and outs were frustrating, but his actual production wasn't actually that different to what he did the year before. The perception of it was massively different, but his overall production wasn't hugely different, and he was still clearly a top 90 player on a per-game basis, which is definitely not droppable. So it might be an opportunity to get him at a lower price. Now, he only played 35 games. We know that. He missed the first two months of the season and came back and was pretty limited early on and then missed a couple of games late. It was really, really frustrating. But that's where you try and take advantage and get low, low ball value. You can see all those blue dots on that graph there of games that he missed. It was really frustrating. There's no no questioning any of that. But I think there's more to come from Rob. I'm not out on him at all. I am worried about his knees for sure. I worry that his value is propped up by insane field goal percentage and high blocks. And we saw what happens if the blocks drop by 0.8 a game, you lose 60 spots of ranking. That's what happens. And that's a lesson that is really important across all fantasy, with all big men especially. Let's go to pink eye legend Marcus Smart, 102nd ranked player in category leagues, 120th for totals. He's like early hundreds in, in all formats. His ADP was 89, and it is absolutely 100% fair to say that he disappointed this season. He played only 32 minutes. He's 18% usage. He averaged 11 points, six assists, two threes, 1.5 steals, shot only 42% with 34% from three, and disappointing on his free throws. He's I would have no problem of drafting him in the 80s, but he, he dropped off. He played fewer minutes. He had more competition for point guard spots with White and Brogdon there as well. But also, he didn't help himself by you know, shooting way worse, being a negative in all percentages, and you know, the, the usage being down. That, that, the usage is a bit harder to blame Marcus Smart on. He's 29. His advanced numbers are still relatively strong. 66th overall in Darko, 85th in estimated wins, 85th percentile. He's still pretty strong, but it was a drop-off from where he's been in the past. 
And when Missoula had those multiple options to go with White, to go with Brogdon, I think that some of Smart's numbers, where he played 32 minutes, I think some of Smart's numbers this season actually overstate how good he was. Because I think he got a lot of entitlement minutes where there are times where he shouldn't have been staying on the court. It should have been White or it should have been Brogdon playing over him and it didn't happen enough. Realistically, he probably should have played like 29 minutes a night, pushing him outside the top 120 really easily. I don't know where this goes because Derek White's not young. Malcolm Brogdon is obviously not young. So the Celtics are in like an interesting spot with their point guards where they're all... There's no real up-and-coming. Well, there's one. We'll talk about him a little bit later, but there's no real up-and-coming guy. There's not real level of striation in terms of the value of these players. So in terms of Marcus Smart going back to a top 100 guy, I'm not sure. He probably needs high usage to get there, like be a 13, 14-point-per-game scorer, shoot better from the line, obviously better from the field. But I'm not certain it gets there. Things could change. Jalen Brown goes... Depends what they do in bringing who they bring back. But maybe that means that you know, Smart and White play together and Smart takes on a higher usage role or White takes on a higher usage role or whatever it is. There are things that can change. But this is not a 26-year-old player who had a down year who, if things change in a year or two, he gets a prime opportunity in his peak. If Brown goes this year or next year, Smart's 30, 31. And you wouldn't want to rely upon that. So I'm a little worried if that's the over-under of top 100 years for Marcus Smart still to come. They'd probably put it at 0.5. I'm not super confident in, in it. He always seems to get injuries as well. I really do like Marcus Smart as a player. I think he's been underrated quite a bit at times. Although last year, he was overrated. I don't think he was the defensive player of the year. don't even think he was the best defensive player on his team, but that's not beside the point at this stage. He just is a guy that at times can be frustrating, but also can be underrated. But I'm, all, I'm getting a little worried about where he fits here on out. Impact-wise, still really good. There's still enough there. But the difference between him and some of the other options they can bring in is what leads me to, to some concerns about his overall value. What about Al Horford? 106th ranked player this season. He was drafted at 84, which from my memory, I was not in on. I didn't want to draft him at that spot. Um, I We heard them say in the preseason, yeah, no, Al's actually going to play... Uh, through all the back-to-backs, you know, he's going to play, which was a clear lie at the time. And then he sat literally every back-to-back due to back-to-back spasms, which was a clear bullshit lie. He's, which is fine. I said he was 38. I lied. He's 37. He's 37 years old. There was no need to play him on those back-to-backs. There just wasn't a need for it. He played 30 minutes. He had a wild, wild up and down season. Crazily up and down. Because there were times where he was just unrosterable. Because you know, he would be like the 180th best player for a stretch. Then he'd be the 40th best player for a stretch. And people will look at his numbers and they'll look at his nine cat numbers and go, he was ranked 66th. And again, I ask you the question, do you think that Al Horford, as the 66th best player, had a better year than Julius Randle, than Tyrese Maxey, than uh, Tyler Hero, um, uh, Alperen Sengun, Kevin Porter, Scotty Barnes, Markel Fultz, Ja Morant. There you go. Do you think Al Horford had a better fantasy season than Ja Morant? And your answer, do you think he had a better season than Anthony Simons? Your answer should be no. Because, again, it's propped up by really low assists. Now, he shot oh, really low turnovers. He shot really strong. Unbelievable numbers, which to me 
is a huge red flag. And I'll tell you why it's a red flag for Horford moving forward. Hey, there's a number of red flags. He's 37. If Rob Williams enters the season healthy, he's probably not going to play 31 minutes a night like he did this season. He probably isn't going to shoot 45% from three. Could he be a 39% shooter, 41% shooter, 40% shooter? Absolutely. 12 usage. He averaged 2.3 triples a game and under 10 points. He somehow inexplicably shot only 71 from the line. His blocks went way down. He averaged half a steal. He averaged 10, 6, and 3. But this is not a guy that is a top 70 player. He's still really good. He's still a very useful player, but you're th- he's 37. At some point, maybe it's next year, he has to transition into a, let's say, 28-minute-a-night player. And in two years, it's a 24-minute-a-night player. The it's, it's, it's over when we talk long-term at this level of value. And if he doesn't shoot 45% from three this season, well, he's not really a rosterable player, I don't think. If that 45%, which bumps his field goals, which the threes really give him that value, and he plays 28 minutes, there's no way we're looking at him like that. He's still good. 114th in Darko, 81st percentile EPM. Look at that massive dip there with the Philadelphia-Oklahoma City situation, and then he jumped back up. But he's on the way He's on the way down. We know this. And there will be some overvaluation for Horford next season. We know that he is going to miss games. He's missing a minimum of 10 games because of back-to-backs. We know this. And if we do get a healthy Rob Williams, he's going to probably play less than 31 minutes a game. And he most likely, it's all about probabilities and likelihoods. What is the likelihood that Al Horford shoots 45% from three again? And I would put it at 99% likely that he doesn't. So if that falls off, if is it well, and we're maybe at 90% likely that he plays fewer than 31 minutes. Right? That's they're probably two big likely things. And then at age 37, does he go to 0.9 blocks or 0.8 blocks? Maybe. Six rebounds, three assists can easily stick. Free throws could jump back up. But I do think there is a real risk of an Al Horford overvaluation of what he did this season when you consider all the factors that are attached to how he got to where he was and the scenarios that led to that playing out. It's time to get excited. Maximum Derek. Derek White had an ADP of 141. I wasn't particularly interested in drafting Derek White. And people will say that, you know, Josh, you think Derek White's the best player ever. I clearly don't, right? I know that part of it's a joke and you joke about it, but I just think Derek White is an un- has been an underrated player for years who is an r- unbelievably good defender, who is an impactful offensive player, but always seems to get dicked over at times by bigger names or more flashy players. And that if he was given opportunities to have the, the bigger role, that he would succeed. And... That didn't really happen in San Antonio, and it, you know, this season, he was really good, but still, 107th in category leagues. He was an awesome player. His advanced metrics were super high. He's 57th overall in Darko, 94th percentile EPM, 94th percentile estimated wins, 78th percentile LeBron. Look at that Darko graph, how high up it is. He just impacts winning. His total ranks might skew your value on him, though. He played all 82 games, and remember... Before you go into this and look at that, because I'm pretty sure when you go, if you go to Yahoo, you'll see his, um, you'll see the the overall ranking of Derek White, and it will definitely skew him high. Where's what's his overall number there? Ah, uh, yeah, Yahoo's got him listed as the 53rd ranked player for this season, 
right? So you look at that and go, well, he actually finished 53rd. It's because he played 82 games. What was the biggest complaint about Derek White probably the last two seasons? He never stays healthy. He's, it's always his toe or his knee. or He got COVID. Then like, he never played, right? He never played. But this season, he did. And he played and he stayed healthy. And the overall total ranking jumps up. But as we all well know, Missing those games with a toe injury was no indicator that he would be hurt every year in the future. Playing 82 games this season is absolutely zero indicator that he's going to be able to do that every season as we move forward. It just isn't how it works. So he played 82 games this year, 75 the season before, pretty strong, 36 the year before that, 68 the year before that. It's all over the place. So when you look at the discrepancy versus per game versus total, 107 versus 57, it just shows how much of an impact those games play, and we cannot rely on them. 12 points, 3.5 rebounds, 4 assists, 0.6 deals, 0.9 blocks as a guard is crazy. 46 shooting, 38, 88, really strong numbers. Is there scope for Derek White to be better than this? I don't know where it comes from on this team. I think that Derek White could easily handle a 24 usage role, be a 34-minute-a-night player, averaging 17, 4, and 5 with a steal and a block. Now, his steal numbers dropped way off. He'd been a much higher steals guy in the past. But he's also 29. So I'm not going to blow smoke up your ass and tell you, well, he, well, he's hitting his peak. Wait till he gets that opportunity. Should he probably play more than 28 minutes a night? I, I think he probably should, yeah. I think he should play 31 or 32 on this team. And that would help. And the steal numbers are uh, really abnormally low for what he's been able to do. Actually, you know what? I'm completely lying on that. His steal numbers actually haven't been as high as I thought in the past. 0. 0.9, 0. 0.7, 0. 0.7. Scrap that. I don't know where I was getting that. His block numbers have been usually higher than his steal numbers, which is a weird phenomenon for a guard. But he could play an extra four minutes a game. He could handle more usage. But on this team, as currently constructed, he won't. Jalen Brown, extra spanner in the works. What does it mean? Could he overtake Marcus Smart? Just given Smart's culture on this team, I don't think so. So while we love what White did, we, you know, Yahoo's going to put him at 53. We can see that ranking right there. I don't know where they'll put him in their preseason rankings, but if they put him at 60 or 70, it's going to be a gigantic avoid. It's a massive stay away scenario because it's just too high for where the role is. Now, of course, multiple things could change before we get to that spot. And he was awesome. And I really think he's a useful player, but he's probably not going to be on a team that gives him 25 usage. They might give him 33 minutes, but he's not going to get that big scoring boost or even the ball handling boost with Brogdon, Smart, Brown, Tatum, who all get priority in, in running an offense, Horford even at times. So while I really like Derek White, thought he was great this season, I'm not sure that there's a big jump to being a top 70 player coming. Playing all those games was great. A little bit of a spike there in the middle with his fantasy points. But as I've you know, detailed, he's just an impactful guy that probably doesn't find himself in a situation where that all can ramp up into bigger numbers. Let's talk about the sixth man of the year, Malcolm Brogdon, who they brought across in that trade with the Pacers. Brogdon was 108th, 100 in totals, played 67 games. He's 30. His ADP was 112. So that's sort of bang on where you wanted it to be. 120th in Yahoo points. Returned the exact value you wanted. The end of the 10th round, he returned. Start of the 10th, end of the 9th round value. Really good. 26 minutes a night, 23 usage, 15 points, two threes, four rebounds, four assists. Putrid defensive stats, as always. Shot an amazing 44% from three. And his career is so weird because he was a 40% three-point shooter in Milwaukee. Went to Indiana where they gave him the lead role and the shooting went to like 34%. Goes to Boston where he doesn't play the lead role and the shooting goes back up. So my conclusion from this data is that 
Malcolm Brogdon's a really good shooter when he doesn't have to be the primary initiator. He can shoot when he's off ball, but when the responsibility is off him, he cannot do it. And that's because I think he's got a really slow release and it does become hard for him to be able to do that in that role. So can he be a 40% shooter again next season? Yes, but like with Al Horford, if you've got to put the probability of me saying is he a 44% three-point shooter again, no, he's not. Like It's going to come down and then that's going to drop that two, two threes to 1.83s or 1.73s and the 48% field goals to 47% or 46.5% and then he goes back to being the 120th best player. He's a year older than what he will be, of course, as we all are. He was impactful. 73rd percentile EPM. Darko 135. He's really good. He's a strong player. But when I look at all of these numbers that Brogdon has here, I look at one thing, and that's a three-point percentage. Ooh, that's probably going to go down. The 26 minutes, maybe that can push up. But Missoula also at times will like, well, no, you need to just play this 23-minute bench roll, 25-minute bench roll. And the problem still exists with smart Brogdon and White all there where there's multiple opportunities to go to different players. So while he was great, he definitely you know, deserved the six-man-of-the-year award and the shooting was awesome. The, the, the likely scenario to me is the shooting drops where the other stuff stays the same versus the shooting holds and the other stuff improves. So I think this is sort of where we are with Brogdon as we move forward. Again, really impactful guy. Like the EPM stuff, yeah, really, really strong. Um, there's not many important guys left to talk about. Let's talk Grant Williams now, who was disappointed. He was drafted in 13% of leagues, actually, at 141. Didn't really make any sense to me. 224th in category leagues, 228th in points leagues. He's only 24, restricted free agent, as we talked about. 79 games, 26 minutes, 13 usage. But that 26 minutes is very misleading. There were games where he just didn't play. He got DMP'd. He got limited minutes. We saw it in the playoffs, how badly we saw Missoula not trust him at all. He had 13 usage, eight points. He shot 40% from three, one and a half threes a game. He doesn't generate huge defensive stats. He doesn't generate rebounds or assists. He's a solid defender who can shoot a little bit, but you don't want to rely upon him in a huge role. His Darko was actually not super strong, 254th. His EPM, 51st percentile. He's negative 1.4 EPM last year, negative 1.3. Like the same impact numbers. 28th percentile LeBron, the advanced stuff, actually doesn't like him. And he's one of those guys that you would think, you go, well, he's one of those players that uh, you can't see it all in the box score. It's the advanced stuff. And it's the plus minus that really picks up. Well, not really. They don't actually like him that much. So maybe while we look at Grant Williams and we think, oh, Missoula made mistakes, maybe he was within his rights to not play him as much as he did. And again, we look back at it. I don't think you would expect, given the ups and downs of what this team did, that you would have thought that Grant Williams played 26 minutes a night during the regular season. I, I didn't. I thought he was maybe going to be a 22-minute a night guy when I went to look at the numbers. But 26 and I don't really see a team that's going to go, yeah, Grant, you're a 32-minute-a-night player. Maybe, maybe you go to a bad team and that you fit that role. Maybe you're a team that's desperate for a power forward. Miami, right? Maybe he plays that 32. But do you ever want him to be more than 13 usage? Will he ever be a big defensive stat generator? Will he ever be a high-level passer? I don't think so. So it could be one of those players that, you know, even though he's 224th this season, like I don't think he's ever going to be able to sniff the top 100 for fantasy. Maybe he can He's at 24. There's still room to grow, but I, I just haven't seen it. I haven't seen enough of it to give me the indicators that would suggest that something big could be coming in a different scenario. There are maybe one to two teams where I'd say, yeah, he could play six extra minutes if he goes there. But I also think his game is the fit-in game, not the blow-up game. So wherever he goes, it's not going to be, right, I'm, I'm the guy now. Um, let's see what we can do. I don't really think that's ever going to happen for Grant, and that's always going to hold back his fantasy value. I was pretty surprised to see this bloke 
Sam Hauser, play minutes over Grant Williams this season. Hauser, another player with elite shooting numbers, 42% from three. He ranked 302nd in category leagues, 336th in points leagues. He was important at times, but I think there's quite a few limitations. He's 25. It was his second year in the league. He played 80 games, 16 minutes, averaged almost two threes. You could find threes on the waiver wire everywhere. Six and a half points, two rebounds, no defensive stats, under an assist, only 71 from the line. He's a three-point specialist. That is it. Advanced metrics are okay. 71st percentile EPM, 244th in Darko. You can see that improvement there. But the defensive issues, the passing issues, the lack of all-around game issues with Hauser versus his shooting is what is always going to hold him back. Now, could there be a strong role for him if Grant Williams does go and he plays 21 minutes a night? Yeah. He could easily average two and a half threes a game. Could he turn into like the peak season that Davis Bertans had a few years ago? Maybe. Probably never plays that amount of minutes, but maybe he could, maybe he could average three threes a game and give you 10 points a game. But that's it. But that might elevate him hugely, especially when you're looking at turnover ranks. He'll get like 0.1 turnovers a game. And people will think that makes him a top 100 player. So the shooting is excellent. 42%. Maybe he can do that. But is there enough there that can ever ramp up into something bigger? I don't know. The other thing to factor in is Gallinari's back. And Gallinari, even if Grant Williams does go, like he'll just cut into what Hauser does. So I'm not particularly excited. I don't think he's a huge upside um, sort of a player. You saw some moments from him again. Some really strong moments. The rotation never seemed to be 100% set with this squad. And another one of my criticisms of Missoula didn't really ever seem to find the right rhythm with guys. And Hauser was a beneficiary at times and a victim at times of that. Last guy I'm going to talk about is someone who is a really intriguing player. And that is Peyton Pritchard. 400th ranked player in category leagues. 398th in points leagues. He's 25. All that shit. It's terrible. He just barely played. 48 games, 13 minutes, 20 usage. He's 25. He shot 36 from three. He averaged five points, two rebounds, 1.3 assists. Didn't generate a single block all season. 0.3 steals only, which is about... It's almost one steal per 36. Really bad. Darko's got him 30th percentile. Sorry, LeBron's... uh, Try again. EPM's got him 30th percentile. Darko's got him 191st. And it's not super strong, but he's had some moments. And he's been very vocal. He's like, I don't play on this team. There are four point guards ahead of me. Can you trade me somewhere else? And while I'm not sure that Peyton Pritchard is the guy that you want to be a starting point guard on a team, would he be a guy that would come in and play as a backup who gets 20 minutes a night? And if you need him to start, he puts up top 100 numbers. Yeah. Could he do what Emmanuel quickly does for New York? Possibly. I think that this is an opportunity to buy low on Peyton Pritchard in a dynasty league. He's 25, right? So you don't have huge, huge youth there, like versus, say, Kyra Lewis, who I think is 21. I think Pritchard's got way higher upside of doing this. Jaden Springer's 20, but Pritchard's got a bigger chance of being able to succeed. He is 25, but there is elite shooting. Could easily have a season in the next three years where he goes 15 points, three threes, four rebounds, five assists, one steal, shoots 48, 41, 84. That's good enough. It's got to be the right scenario that brings brings us there, but it is good enough. And even in limited experience this season, he had moments of, I, I thought, decent enough success. So he's a name to put on the radar for Dynasty Leagues. Once he gets traded, the value will change. So if you want to get in on him, you start to do it now and hope that something something kicks off. I don't think he's going to stay in Boston. 
The other guy that's maybe marginally interesting, I'm not going to go a full breakdown on him, is J.D. Davison, who was their second-round pick, basically played all of the year for the G League. He averaged almost eight assists in the G League to only three turnovers. He only averaged, what, 13 points, but shot 50% from the field, but only 30% from three. And that was the knock for him coming out of Alabama. Couldn't shoot and didn't really um, you know, escape those allegations in the G League. But the passing is really strong. And if Pritchard does move on, Davidson might get converted to a full-time contract and might be able to take on that fourth point guard role. So there's, there's a little bit, he's 20 years old, Davidson as well. So there's a lot of youth to come. It's probably three years away from being any sort of impact player. But the passing vision from him and creativity is just something to pay attention to. The other guys on their roster, I'm not all that interested in, like Cabangale, um, Cornette, uh, Griffin, Muscala, uh, and even Justin Champagne, who they signed at the end. Cabangale is marginally interesting. I don't think he's hugely interesting, though. But that, that brings us to the end of talking about the Boston Celtics. Follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app and on YouTube. Thumb it up. Leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.